0: Hello, pod people, and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the movie show that sees two films with something in common go head-to-head to see which one did it better. And this week, we're in the midst of a spirited battle between twin movies Ghost and Truly Madly Deeply.
1: The day Jamie went away,
0: Nina's whole world fell apart. It's tragic. One minute he has a sore throat, and he's having an examination, the next moment he stopped breathing.
1: Then without warning he came back
0: are you here you are here i'm here didn't die properly maybe that's why i can come back so which one makes it into heaven and which one will be banished to hell let's find out in clash of the titles The Hi Clash Podders, I'm Chris Tilly.
1: I'm Vicky Crompton.
0: And there's no Alex this week, meaning you'll have to put up with just us idiots yet again. So first off, thank you for downloading this podcast. An extra special thanks if you've given us a review, as we like to read one out at the start of our Thursday episode, and this week is no different, as here's what... Teddo twelve twelve had to say: Hi guys, I love listening to your podcast every week. It's even more special when a film you love or hate comes up. Even if the film is dreadful, it's great to hear it being ripped to shreds. I think I need to give Super Mario Brothers a rewatch because I remember loving that film when I was a kid.
1: <laughs> Ooh, okay.
0: uh, I'm not sure if this has been brought up before, but you could compare each of your favourite movies for a special trilogy of episodes. <gasps> It may be difficult to decide the winner, though. Maybe you could leave it up to the listeners to decide. Anyways, keep up the great work because it gets us all through our week. Five stars.
1: Oh, we did talk about that, didn't we?
0: We did. So, Giles. Uh, Giles um, so uh, Alex has already done his favourite. Who the films. fuck is Giles? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's only been away a week.
1: <laughs> He's called Alex. <laughs>
0: I sometimes call him Giles. Do you?
1: If this is a private thing that you two have, that's fine, but I didn't know anything about it. So
0: Giles loves Jaws. <laughs> I think it was Jaws. I was thinking about Jaws and Giles came out. Uh, and we've done Jaws already. Have- uh, if, I guess if we had to pick a favourite film, Vicky's a Ghostbusters person I'm like Back to the Future. We thought about doing that for the live show to make it a bit different. But then we thought, why mess with the formula? I
1: got too scared as well, because I don't think I could talk about Ghostbusters in, in any way that's en- at all listenable to. <laughs> it's just me going, but then this bit, and then this bit, and then this bit. Um, Whereas
0: I will, I'm happy to give Back to the Future both barrels when it comes to the stuff I don't like. Are you? Yeah, 100%, because I'm a grown-up. Uh, um. So, okay. yeah, but we're not sure. But we've also got ideas of what to do with Ghostbusters and Back to the Future separately. So... Yeah. Might not happen, but it is a good suggestion and we will keep it in mind. Thanks for the lovely review. So on Monday, Vicky talked us through ghost, meaning today I'm talking about more ghosts. (laughs) So let me take you on a journey. Based on the song by Savage Garden, (laughs) Truly Madly Deeply is basically ghost if the sentimentality was removed and replaced with an unhealthy dose of repression and stoicism. The story concerns a man on a mission. Jamie returns from the dead to annoy love of his life Nina so she forgets about him and moves on. Trouble is, forgetting about him also involves meeting and falling in love with an amateur magician who's a bit wacky. And there's nothing less funny than an amateur magician who's a bit wacky. But his plan works and Nina moves on with Truly Madly Deeply having the happiest, saddest ending since... Well, Ghost. Yeah, that's fair. So when did you first see this, Vicky? <clears throat> oh,
1: my God. So these two films represent two very like key moments for me. I'm a, I'm a people person, Chris. I think you know that. And I put a lot of story about my friends and who I'm friends with. I love my friends. I've always loved having friends and being friends with people. I'm not a lonely, loner person. Maybe I'm a bit lonely. Anyway, when I was 11 and watching Ghost, I was friends with Leslie. I was best friends with Leslie. But by the time we got to Truly Madly Deeply, I had a new best friend called Lucy. And... Lucy was she's still a very important person to me but the way that I I sort of projected onto Lucy's life was that I when I was 13 or 14 I think I was 13 when I saw this I really 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 wanted to be middle class I really wanted to be mm. and I made it my life's work to become a middle class person like Lucy and when she showed me Truly Madly Deeply she was like this is the most romantic film you will ever see it's Mm. beautiful it's gorgeous it's amazing and I could see the way that Juliet Stevenson as Nina's room is decorated in Truly Madly Deeply is also the way that Lucy's room was decorated and I was like this is how you do middle class that Mm. sort of like faux bohemian, no offence Lucy, ramshackle artsy, let's make a joke about Trotsky and suddenly everyone, you can't make a joke about Trotsky in my house. That, no one knows who that is. It's not going to work. So I was like, I'm going to copy all of those things and I'm going to get this life with minus the sadness and the dead boyfriend. And then I did and everything was fine. And then I moved past it a little bit. It's time to not have postcards on the wall and sheet music and a dirty house basically. Mm. But it was a really. It was just. It just made a huge impression on me. I was like, "This is the pinnacle of romantic
0: love." And do you know what the flat is based on? Uh, No, Juliet Stevenson's flat in Kilburn. That's what it looked like. I fucking knew it
1: was in Kilburn. Oh, it's just like and then Lucy had a flat that looked exactly like it. Chaos.
0: Chaos is how she lived her life. Apparently, yeah, in a good way.
1: I'd forgotten how horrible the flat is in this in my imagination. Again, because of colliding it with girls, the the apartment in girls is just perfect, Mm. and I think. I misremembered and I thought that this North London apart flat was a a beautiful, safe, womb-like space. Whereas Mm. actually it's a nightmare, Mm. which is a fun choice.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't have a big story. I mean, I remember when this came out and everyone said, oh, there's an English ghost that's a bit more serious. (laughs) Yeah. It just did not appeal to me. I was twelve years old. yeah um I'm glad I didn't watch it when I was twelve. I don't think I would have appreciated this film. I think I might have found it a little bit boring. Mm. um maybe not. I don't know, but also loved Alan Rickman, but not in a way that I watched every film he did. Mm-hmm. I just wanted him to play a villain, yeah um when I was growing up. so um it, probably about fifteen years ago, I saw this, and it was when I think I first signed up to Netflix, and it was so exciting. That they had so many films that you could send off for, yeah. And so it was such a novelty, and so yeah, it was one of those that I got through the post and watched it and thought, "I'm glad I waited." Very good film.
1: Yeah, English. I think this is the thing. It made a lasting impression on me because I was so young, mm. and I thought, "God, that's it." Like you, you, there's a world out there, and this is says this says much more about me than it does about the film. There is a world out there where you will find not one but maybe two people who will love you inexplicably almost for some reason Mark mm. the the bad magician why does he love Nina so much got absolutely no idea mm. but you will meet your soulmate maybe once maybe twice mm. and they'll be quirky and sexy and fun and everything will just be this sort of yeah like I said this sort of faux bohemian lifestyle it,
0: it did make me feel when I watched it so many emotions that I did feel like I never want to see that again. <laughs> yes. that I find that this is too upsetting. It is, yeah. And so yeah, I I think it's why I was hesitant to do it on the show because yeah. I was almost dreading watching it again.
1: I felt a bit like
0: that. Um, well. but I, I enjoyed I enjoyed it the second time round.
1: Yeah.
0: Um so let's do a bit of behind the scenes because it's a quite interesting story this one. Go for it. Um Anthony Mangella, the writer director was working at the BBC uh, on Inspector Morse. Yeah. He did that for years and...
1: Because I noticed they've got the same composer. Right. So that I've, I recognise his name. Was he called Barrington F- Fellung? Oh, yeah, I don't
0: know.
1: I love Morse. Love mm. Morse. Yeah, love yeah. Endeavour. Don't like Lewis. But anyway, any Sunday night crime mm. drama, I'm fully into. And Morse is obviously the king. Mm. And so you... I listen and love the music. He's like, oh, that's such an unusual name. Like with all these sort of like, you know, more sort of, you know... Usual sort of British-y dower names. So it always stuck out, and then I noticed the name at the on the front of the. And case. I should
0: say, if you're in America, Inspector Morse, maybe you don't you've not seen Inspector Morse. He's a detective.
1: Pitch it, go, Chris, go. <laughs> he's he's a, a, d- a grumpy detective. Detective
0: uh, who drives around Oxford in a nice car, uh, and he's a bit of a maverick.
1: What else is he good at? Crosswords. What else is he good at? Solving crime. You yes. never know his first name until he dies or something. Mm. What else? Opera. He's obsessed with opera,
0: and that's it. And Anthony Mingella was obsessed with music. He started off as a composer and a musician. That's why there's so much music in this film, and and I guess that's why there's so much music in Morse, potentially. I don't know the answer to that, if that's true or not. I'm just saying it. But (laughs) at this point in time, BBC was starting up a film division, and it was coming to the fourth series of Morse, and they asked him if he wanted to direct. And he could have directed an episode of Morse, Mm -hmm. but he decided he wanted to direct a film for their TV stream, um, Strand, because less people would watch a film he directed than Morse. Okay. Morse was getting watched by 20 million people oh, a yeah. week. This would be just some film that no one watched. Morse and so he said deal. he said out of cowardice, he decided to do the film yeah. so he could try stuff out, experiment and fail without anyone really noticing wow. how wrong he was. <laughs> um, so he's making a film and his starting point is, I'm going to write something for Juliet Stevenson. Yeah. They worked together 10 times yeah. across... Um, radio and theater and TV and uh, and all this and so it was she was one of his best friends um, and he wanted to celebrate her talent she was becoming a muse to him he wanted to to, to tailor it to her um, her life was chaotic and complicated and funny he said there was lots of people floating in and out of her life uh, the, the the flat was chaotic it was filled with people and he wanted to put that in a in a script and he also felt that she was thought of as this. Rather imposing Shakespearean actress at the time. Yeah. Whereas he knew her as a bit of a laugh. Yeah. Um, You know, liking to sing and dance, not very well. And so he just (laughs) wanted to exploit all this stuff. So that was the starting point. Then Jim Henson. Right. Steps in because Mingella spent two years working on The Storyteller. Do you remember The Storyteller? You've told me about it. Have I? Yeah. It was like a Jim Henson thing. It was they were quite frightening. They were sort of fairy tales.
1: Yes. And it was
0: live action and puppets and it would be on a Sunday night and it used to freak me out, to be honest. Okay. I think John Hurt was the storyteller in it. But anyway, he'd spent two years researching um, fairy tales and fantasy and myth and it was completely the opposite of this naturalistic drama that he'd spent years making. So he decided his film would be a, collision of contemporary drama and something more fantastical um, he had a musician friend who'd recently died who used to have a weekly duet with another friend and that's how the story started you know oh is, is it is it a couple who are duets yes it's gonna be a couple is one of them alive no bang we're off um he also said he he could see an influx of Latin American people in North London at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they had, he had recently had a child and they'd had several South American nannies and babysitters who were this new underclass. And yet when he got talking to a cleaner or a babysitter that back home, they were an analyst yeah. or, a, or a filmmaker, as we see in the film. And so they had these amazing jobs at home and here they were having to do, you know, jobs that, you know, they felt were beneath them. Um, so that's why he, need, he made Nina a translator so she could be, she could be in that world. Mm-hmm. Also, his wife had worked as a translator. So he's putting things in from his own life um, to make the movie. They, they talked about casting Americans and sticking it in America. Right. Um, but he stuck to his guns because he wanted to make it cheaply and quickly. And he wanted to fill it with his mates. And so the ghosts that show up are a bunch of Anthony Minghella's mates. There's uni mates and musician friends. Um, he also did very few takes um, because of the speed and the budget. And uh, on, on an interview on the disc, he says that he shot more film in one day on The English Patient than he did to make this entire movie. <laughs>
1: um,
0: and when he was finished, he thought he'd made a romantic comedy and he had no idea how much pain there was in the film until he started screening it and seeing the reactions of people. Okay. Um,
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I buy that. Like, mm. it's Juliet Stevenson's with her therapist and she's miserable and wretched. That's not Pretty Woman, is it? I mean, yeah, I understand it's a romantic comedy, but I don't see how you could be, like, shocked that people find it quite hard to deal with.
0: Mm. Um. And it was called Cello, rubbish. as I said Absolute on Monday, title. right the way through production. Um, he called it Cello because obviously uh, Ghost is a cellist, but Il Cello is heaven in Italian. Oh, nice! He's an Italian man. He likes the um, he liked the pun uh, when he sold it to a film company. They said we ain't calling this film cello it's shit <laughs> and so he said there was just an evening of despair with his producer and his wife trying to come up with an alternate title right and he says it's so funny looking back it's now a famous phrase it's now a pop song and he can't imagine the film being called anything else. But Hell of a pop song as well. <laughs> it's a good
1: one, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> I'm not even joking. It's good.
0: <laughs> but yeah, he says that he can't imagine the film being called cello now. It's
1: funny how things, these things happen.
0: <laughs> but that's it. That's the background.
1: Lovely. Mm. I enjoyed that.
0: Yeah, I thought it was an interesting. Well, I wasn't expecting it to be interesting this yeah. week. Um, lovely. So let's talk about the movie. First section, Jamie's gone. <laughs> Nina. Uh by Juliet Stevenson, is coming out of Highgate Tube Station. Yeah. And we need Alex here because that's his manner. <laughs> yeah. He could have told us where we are, although he couldn't, because although that is Highgate Tube Station, uh, most of it's filmed in Bristol.
1: Is it? Yes. That's... I recognise a passageway from Belsize Park, and that was it, and obviously Highgate Tube because mm. of those murderous steps. Mm. But you know, I didn't know about Everything Bristol. Everything
0: else is Bristol. Okay. Um, and she's telling us that Jamie is talking to her. He's giving her advice. He's telling her he loves her. He's telling her to brush her teeth. He's talking to her in Spanish. Um, It doesn't sound healthy, this. No. And then he's gone. But she says she feels looked after and watched over, which is sweet. Uh, The first of her therapy scenes happened. Yeah. Shot in Bristol University common room. (laughs) (laughs) That is cheap. Uh, Yeah. That therapist is his producer's wife. Is it? The scene where she's uh, brushing her teeth. She's wearing a pe- some pyjamas that Anthony Minghella's wife bought him from a holiday. <laughs> right. Like It's really, it's so done on the cheap, this film. Um, which is lovely to hear all these behind-the-scenes stories. But uh, yes, she is... Uh, we learn that Jamie's dead. Um, and then we get the opening credits, which are him playing the cello. Uh, and they do the deliverance trick here, where the left arm is a musician oh, behind him. I did him. wonder. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Because... It's um, it's well, it's a little known fact about me that I used to play the violin really badly. Mm. So I was watching to see if it mm. corresponded with the music. And I was like, it fucking does. And I was like, can Alan Rigman play the cello? No, I
0: believe we've got a a cellist crouching behind him, doing the left arm. But he said that from 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 here onwards, he wanted to try and tell a story with the credits in his films, which I always quite like. And, yes, and it's good. Yeah, we we sort of I feel like we learn a little bit about him and her. And then he's playing the cello and it freezes on him and it becomes a photograph on the wall, which he said was so impossible to do. Right. Um. And he wouldn't, have, he would never do it again, but they, they got it. And I think it's a really cool moment. Me too. It sort of elevates the material a little bit from, yeah. you know, TV movie land. Sure. Um, that photograph is out in the open on the wall at this point. That's important for late. Okay. But yeah, we've got that flat, which as I said, is based on Juliet Stevenson's flat, which was in Kilburn. Um, it's beautiful. He said it's chaotic. It's, it was tasteful and there were always too many people there. Um, Nina's got an infestation of rats. So
1: upsetting. Mm. It's so upsetting. And I'd forgotten all about the rats. And the way she reacts to rats isn't the way that I can imagine ever reacting to. A rat in bed? Burn the flat down. Absolutely. It's a lost cause. Are you the need ra- to leave. Are the rats real? Well, that's a good question. Mm. Well, other people see them. Oh, no, other people don't see them. Other people try to deal
0: with them. My, my my therapist partner thought they could be a manifestation of her depression.
1: Okay. Well, all right. Yeah. And that's
0: why they go away when he appears. Right. Which is an interesting theory. That's a great theory. Yeah. 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 I don't know if it's right or not.
1: You should consult with your therapist partner more about things. So that's <laughs> a good theory.
0: I did. Yeah. That's why I got to watch this one. Um. Yeah, because then a bit later, the, the, the pest control guy says they've never they've never truly gone away. You think they've gone away, but it hasn't gone away. And I thought, oh, that could be the cloud of depression. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, anyway, she works at a language agency translating postcards. As I said, that's what Mingella's wife did briefly. She makes an appearance here as one of her colleagues who heads home. That's right. Anthony Mengele's wife. wife. Yep. Um, uh, she works there because he wanted to have a helpful job. She's a helpful person. Um, yes. Her boss, Sandy, is worried about her he's played by Bill Patterson who's one of Juliet Stevenson's best friends in real life it's all interconnected it's all very incestuous this mm-hmm. film um, we meet carpenter Titus from Poland mm. yeah he's a problem <laughs> yeah he he wants to dance to drive the rats away
1: get get out of my house get out of my house i just it's we'll come back to it a lot yes it's just and it,
0: it's a weird subplot that doesn't really work it's
1: not so much that it's just this was written and directed by a man and that's all fine it's just she, she, Nina reacts with such grace yes. to that and such acceptance when she's already said it's late she's already said she wants to go to bed she's said don't you know, come back in the morning and now Titus is dancing in the kitchen to get rid of the rats and she's just very gracious about it because that's the way that men write women like that you're like okay she's yeah. not angry she's not whatever and you don't know at this point, you know, this this is nothing compared to what's about to happen yeah. with Titus later. Yeah. But every part of her is like, I've what well, I want you to get out of my house and stop dancing around these rats.
0: It's it's played for humour, but what he does is really
1: It's just that unpleasant. Oh god, it's so boring, just leave. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Go away, Titus. But this is sort of representative of this foreign underclass that was servicing. Middle America that that Minghella wanted to talk about and um, comes back later. But her house is falling to bits. It's filled with workmen now. Um, we learn a bit about Jamie's death.
1: So I was so is so it's established. It's well, sorry, it's not established. It's repeated. He died of a sore throat, and yes. it, it's meant to be a little bit humorous, I think. Which is he had a sore throat. He went to the doctor. Mm. They couldn't get the the anaesthetist couldn't get a tube down him or something, and mm. then he died. Mm. So. Is that real or is it, are we in a time, do you remember a few, you know, there was a time in our lives when you weren't, you could, cancer, you weren't allowed to say cancer. Mm. People said, you know, like the C word mm. and things like that. And now we don't do that anymore with cancer, which is which is good because it just is less confusing for everyone. Um, but is that, did he have throat cancer and no one wants to say it or is it meant to be on purpose, like elided, like as in, you, you don't just die of a sore throat. It's, it's That's a horrible thing to happen. It's, it's a strange thing to happen no underlying I, health conditions. What happened? I took it
0: as he died of throat cancer. Yes. But it, it was too far along by the time they caught it and yeah. he died very quickly and, yeah. and, and, and and he's almost turned it into a joke.
1: Yes, okay. Because that's, that's what because he sort
0: of makes light of a lot of heavy situations, doesn't he, when Jamie returns and yeah. it's a funny thing for him to say I died of So it's of just cancer.
1: interesting because it's it's, mm, no, you know, if, if you
0: don't... I could be wrong.
1: If you don't address it, it's quite irresponsible to be like, oh, this this seemingly perfectly healthy young mm. man died of a sore throat it Just will scare people. But also if it's cancer, you just say it. Um, but mm. equally, you know, it's it's an old film, and maybe that wasn't the done thing. Mm. Oh, I can't remember. I don't know. I know. Uh,
0: we get a nice transition from a flapping sheet in the garden to the therapist room because that flapping sheet is kind of could be a ghost. Could it's a ghost. <laughs> um, and she is now crying with her therapist because of how much she misses Jamie. Yeah. Radio Four dedicated an entire show to this scene, right? Which I listened to the other day. Because, oh, that's nice. Yeah, the presenter loved the scene and got Juliet, uh, Juliet Stevenson, on the phone. Yeah, and talking about it on uh, the commentary, Anthony Minghella talks about how she just brought this real raw emotion that he wasn't expecting. He calls her skinless here. Yeah. He said she tore herself open for us. It was more profound than I envisaged. He said she must have been visiting some personal tragedy um, because it's, it's all there. A uh, lot of snot. Yes. lot of snot. Well, that's
1: what's good about it. I agree. Because when you're that sad, that's what it's like and it's not very pretty and you just don't see that on film very often for obvious reasons but also when you're really in grief you are miserable and you are wretched and you are and you can be like that but then all of a sudden you're just like God you know what I'm fine because if you, you there's a point where you think like, I'm just going to this is not going to stop I'm just going to keep doing it so you have to stop and it's probably false and then it, you know it will come back later but when she's like Do you know what actually I'm fine it mm. just it, it, you know it's such a cliche but it's a cliche for a reason it rolls over you like a wave and mm. then it's gone it's like, all right, I'll see you next week. Mm. I just found that, I think it's so, very realistic.
0: And what's interesting is Miguel talks about the polarizing reactions he got to this film, okay. which quite surprised him. Um, I'll, I'll get onto them a bit later, but he said he feels like this is the moment the film either connects with an audience or alienates them. Right. Um, fun fact an executive asked him if he had another version of the scene where her nose nose is less runny (laughs) of course they did
1: she doesn't look very beautiful
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, her sister and her nephew visit to help out and clean up Um, the sister wants Jamie's cello for the boy it's quite a sad scene. that
1: I mean I think it's quite insensitive of her actually like the boy can learn any instrument and Jamie was a cellist just learn something else Mm. but I do it's a good scene because I've read so much into it as a grown up now where the sister, the two sisters are talking and the sister, Nina's sister, is saying about her husband that he's going to climb Mount Everest. But because her son is listening, I think she can't say, What a prick. He's about to climb Mount Everest. Mm. So she has to say, Well, you know, and they're doing a lot with their eyes, which ah, is because right. my child is listening, I'll use, I will be mindful of my language. Oh, and I don't. Wanna, that. yeah, I mean, maybe not, but yeah, yeah, no. that's what I saw. Right. She's like, Over this shit because she's like, Oh, the baby's coming. And so the woman t- tersely is like, Well, the baby will be three months old by then, so that's fine. That is clearly not fucking fine. If you've got a three-month-old baby, you need your partner. You do not need him to be climbing Mount Everest. Everest will wait. Then she has to sort of, you know, explain it away by saying, oh, he's rubbish with babies, which is such a tired old excuse.
0: I really wasn't even listening to that because I was thinking about the cello. Yeah, they're just (laughs) making such eyes at each other, which is,
1: my son is here, we can talk about it properly later, but you know as my sister that I'm furious about this thing.
0: Thank you for catching that. Um, But... You know, when she's gone, um, you realise the cello is kind of him. His body, she's holding it. She's she's embracing it. Um, We see that she wants him back so much. Yeah. Um, And we're going to take a break now. But when we return, she will get her wish.
1: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: And we're back with a section I'm calling Jamie Returns. So we're 26 minutes into the film and Jamie's playing the cello with her in the room.
1: So as I've said, I aspired to the uh, middle-class trappings of this Lifestyle, as in literal trappings. I don't want to be sad like that. But for for me, the 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 piano playing, the cello playing, the just unabashed middle classness of it gets a bit cloying at this point. Mm. Like, what is wrong with these people?
0: What would your version be? Would you and Mark be making cocktails? <laughs> you would, wouldn't you? That's that's, that's the that's the thing you share. If like me, these people share music. Yeah. You, you share booze. If
1: me, yeah, we do. If me and Mark met now, and you know the reach around the equivalent would be mm. him showing me how you put the ice in the mm. shaker. How long, especially the shaking action? You can imagine that in a rom com. That must be in a rom com where someone is reaching around. Mm. Not that to yeah. shake a cocktail, and then how to pour it at height and all the rest of it. You different kinds of ice. I could talk about that, as you know. At length, mm. um, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, okay. I see that. It's just very um if you're if you're not that person, which I wasn't when I was 13, it's hard to find your way in with these people. Like they've got a fucking television. Do you know what I mean? The television has got weirdly important later. Mm. The way they connect over singing and dancing and music and stuff like that, it's like, oh god.
0: But fine. But I imagine, you know what, I imagine this is how Anthony Mingela um, connected with his wife, oh, sure, I think, yeah, I think yeah. she worked as a choreographer a dance choreographer, and as I said, he was a musician and a composer. Yeah. So I, I think this is reflective of of his life. Yeah, of course. I'm.
1: That's that for me would be the reason it's in there. It's like yeah. that's what he thinks it is the closeness and whatever else. It's just it is a because li- it is because for it is him. for him. It's a bit exclusive for anybody who you know it wasn't that person.
0: Um, this scene though, initially, his script had them having a big discussion about what he was doing, uh, being back. And he quickly realised that any exchange they had at this point diluted the power of his return. Yeah. They sort of reveal him as he's revealed to her because he's in her mind, the music, and then suddenly he's there, or is he? Mm. But yeah, he approaches her, he embraces her. She becomes hysterical. Yes. She's like this volcano of emotion and so, um, yeah, he just said, I just cut all the dialogue, which is great. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, I guess you don't it's need stuff it. you, Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a very powerful moment. Yeah. Um, and then he becomes this very matter of fact bloke. <laughs> He's not impressed with the flat. It's too cold. Yeah. He's still attending political meetings. Yeah. Um, it's, they're showing this idyllic existence, as you say. They play this word game, which is where the title comes from. Um, really, truly, madly, deeply, passionate, remarkably, deliciously, juicily, love you.
1: It's just that it's cr- I love all, bit... I love all of it, but it's the it's the hallmarks of it's a little bit public school like Japes, like when he pours water on her head. Get the fuck out of my house! Don't pour water <laughs> on my head. Also, word games with your actual boyfriend at their age is like it's so cutesy and mm. so it's like you know this is the pranks we played at private school, the boarding school. That's what it just smacks of yeah. to me. But that's me with my chip on my shoulder yes. reacting quite negatively to something that is meant to be innocent and sweet and all the rest of it. They just don't seem like real people.
0: Whereas every morning my parents would wake me up by singing The Sun Ain't Gonna Shine Anymore (laughs) while dancing around the kitchen. I just
1: find it unbearable. She's like, I'll dance. (laughs) But I find it unbearable in the way that I'm just jealous. Like when I was younger, Mm. I was like, I want to do that. And I want to be with someone that finds me so entrancing that I can basically mince around my dirty kitchen in a jacket And they think that is the most sexy thing they've ever seen in their life. And, you know, maybe things do work out like that or don't, but it's just a bit...
0: So I'm going to say that I don't know if it says more about the film or it says more about us that these scenes pushed our buttons in such a way. I would say it's us. Yeah, 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 let's say it's us because this is a good film. (laughs) And we are the ones with the problem. Yeah, yeah. We have become very triggered yeah. by happy, <laughs> loving people. Um, so um, yeah. Titus returns. Oh, man. He wants to take her to Paris for a week of sex. She says no. Mm. He's annoyed because he bought the tickets.
1: This is the thing. He's basically saying the price of these tickets that you didn't ask for is a week yeah. of sex you don't want. Can you yeah. can't see that? Yeah. And when she has the temerity... To be like, do you know what? She has to do that constant dance of like, mm. you don't want to hurt someone's feelings. You don't want to, you don't want to piss them off. You, just in case he barges his way inside, which he clearly has no problem doing. He's kind of done it once already. So you have to be nice. It's giving off, in quote marks, because I hate this, mixed messages at the very best. It's just yeah. a, a very frustrating scene of its time in yes. quote marks and all the rest of it. Yeah,
0: let's not dwell on it. He's a harasser. And he gets a happy ending, which he is not <laughs> earned. Uh, but we'll get to that. Um, can I be crude for a moment? Sure. Are they shagging?
1: Uh, the ghost? Mm. Yeah, of course. Mm. Yeah, they are. Yeah. What, are you talking about the warming my lips scene? No,
0: no, nothing in particular. Just generally. Um, yeah. Yes, they are. Even though he might not exist.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, he, he sings to her a lot. Lots of different songs. There's so much music in this film. But he doesn't just sing. He also tidies up. <laughs> um it yeah, b- becomes important. Um <laughs> she doesn't want to go to work. She's off work for a week. Um I guess she's shagging. Um Yeah, like, that's
1: what that's why I think that cuz she's like, "Oh, sure. I've lost a week cuz yeah. I've been in bed for a week."
0: Yeah, with an Herself. imaginary friend. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Uh she goes to a restaurant with her Spanish friend, speaking client Moira. Um who was a filmmaker in Chile. She's now a cleaner in London, as I said, reflecting conversation that Auntie Minghella did have. Uh, The the waiter from El Salvador is a doctor. It gets a bit sort of political here. It's a very anti-Brexit scene, I think. You know, you've got your Mr. Brexit managing the cafe, saying, I tried to give you people a break, paying them £3 rather than £4 an hour. I Um, mean,
1: I get it. It's just, I don't feel like it's tied up. Like, is it there? I'm being generous here, to show that later on, Nina's intolerance for the ghosts has a parallel in other people's intolerance for migrant people. Like, I, I don't do, think so. I think you're get...
0: reading too much into it. I think he just wanted to make a political point based okay. on something he was seeing, conversations you would be having in that area area okay. at that time. That's I don't know. That's my reading. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, this row about immigration turns into a fight and then a bloke diffuses the situation with magic. Yeah. Um, he stands up and turns a Russian novel into a bird. <laughs> um, if I was in a fight and a bloke did that, I think it would wind me up even more. <laughs> I'd want to lamp him.
1: It's the, I think about this a lot. It's the Darren Brown thing. I love Darren Brown. Me too. And so I remember hearing him on the telly or read or something. And he was like, you know, when I was growing up, obviously, I am me. And that was a bit challenging. So to defuse a tense situation, mm. he would just say the most unusual, the weirdest smash of words that you could think of. So it's the cause your enemy is so distracted and confused. He said it just gives you time to run away. Mm. So And I've always thought about that because I think that is quite sweet. And I can imagine that happening. And that's what it reminds me of. Like you've thrown a pigeon at someone. It yes. kind of takes the heat out no, of it a bit.
0: No, I, like I told you, that fight I nearly got involved with on the tube the other yeah. day and I was trying to diffuse it by the, the phone issue. The blo- yeah. Trying to get the guy to focus on the fact he left his phone on a seat rather than yeah. he wanted to lamp this other bloke. Yeah, and it worked. It did work. Yeah. Um, so do you remember my Darren Brown fact?
1: No. His
0: dad taught me to swim.
1: No, I'd forgotten that fact. So I'm delighted again.
0: Yep, his dad, Bobby Brown. <laughs>
1: Bobby Brown. Okay, cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I was able to thank him um, when I bumped into him. Uh, of all things, a screening of an M. Night Shyamalan film. <laughs>
1: Your life, I said, Chris.
0: All right, Darren Brown. Your dad taught me to swim. Thank you for that. And he that. said, oh. And he, I said, how's your dad? And we had a really nice chat. Still a swimming instructor or have
1: you shared some of his uh, I think about- he was. Re-
0: I think he was retired by that point. I hope so. He always used to, he, he all through the swimming lessons, he would smoke a cigar. No. He'd just shout at you, chomping on a cigar <laughs> from the side of the pool. He it was, it was a hilarious man. He was like something out of a cartoon. Um, God bless him. Um, So, pest control George returns. Yeah. Um, to say, as I said, you might think the rats have gone. Yeah. No, they really haven't. But also, he's there as well to say that he still talks to his long dead wife. Yeah. Who we know he's not seeing. So it's kind of, you know, pushing the idea that that, that Jamie isn't really there. Yes. That, that she is talking to a dead person like everyone sort of does. Yeah. A fantasy rather than any kind of a reality. Yeah. Which is a sad thought. But not for long, because the next section is Ghost Party. (laughs) It's great. Uh, Jamie says, some of the guys wanted to come back and watch a couple of videos.
1: So they do have a television. So why don't they ever watch it? What's all this singing?
0: Uh, Pierre, Bruno, Freddie and Isaac. Um, And I think the film needs this now. They inject some fun into proceedings. Um, As I said, they're all played by friends of Anthony Miguel's uni mates, musicians that he used to work with. Uh, fun fact, one of the first films they mention is Strangers on a Train. Yes. First book by Patricia Highsmith, who went on to write The Talented Mr. Ripley, which yeah. Anthony Minghella would go on to direct. Oh, yeah. So he's referencing something he doesn't know that he's going to do yet. That's nice. Uh, they're watching a bit of Charlie Chaplin. Um, they, they they show the ending of Brief Encounter. Yeah. And they even speak along with the ending. I've only watched Brief Encounter the first time a few weeks ago. As I told you the other day, that is a massive spoiler they've given you there. <laughs> I'm quite upset with them. It's an amazing scene, but you've spoiled the ending. Yes. And it's a great ending. Uh, they talk about Five Easy Pieces and Fitzgeraldo and JB calls them great guys. And I agree. I want to hang out with the ghosts because they're my dream mates. I know they are. They just want to stay on board night <laughs> I'm watching so sorry movies. sorry for not
1: being that person. <laughs> <That's> all <right. laughs>
0: it's all right. It's all right. There's a little bit of my life in reverse here. She's too hot. He's too cold. Um, this is my life. I'm always too hot. She's always too cold. Always too cold. No matter how hot my flat is, always too cold. It drives me up the bloody wall.
1: I mean, I think they could have done, the writer, Anthony Miguel, maybe could have done more. I get it because Jamie and Nina have to be perfect and truly madly deeply and in love. So their incompatibility here is that I'm too hot and you're too cold. And that's a bit nothing because he could be so jealous that she's alive and he's dead mm. and that's what could lead them to falling out mm. it's fine as it is because they are a perfect couple but he's trying to say because she even says you know was it always like this and they are having a little bit of a row and all the rest of it but it seems to be it seems to spin out from this core problem which is temperature and maybe we could have done more there yeah but he's
0: ne- he's never at any point i don't think annoyed with her um, okay, he, he's yeah, just he's true. just trying to wind her up and annoy and frustrate her to make her see that he's she's better off without him. Yeah. Now, um. Also, he's cold because he's a ghost. Everyone yes. knows that. Uh, that's what does she expect? <laughs> yes. The man's dead. Uh, she's getting off a bus and sees Mark, or she's getting on a bus and sees Mark. Yeah. Um, what are the chances? Who's looking after a group with um special needs and um? He asks her out, um and. Quite sweet. She gets a phone number. They all his group all wave at her. She sees a therapist, and um I mean Gella says this is Nina testing her psychoses. Yeah. Sort of telling her what she's seeing and Yeah, seeing and, what happens. Yeah, the therapist is saying, this is ridiculous. Um <laughs> do therapists talk like that? Not supposed to. I was I surprised. Think so. I think
1: it's perfect for this scene because she's like, What's ridiculous? You know, be clear. And Nina's mm. like, Do you think that's ridiculous? It's like you need to what ask, what are mm. you asking me? Mm. And she says it again and again. I was like, wow, you know, you're paying for that. And you're supposed to just go and sit and cry, as mm. far as I can tell. Um, I didn't think you were supposed to be challenged in mm. that way. But what do I know?
0: Our old mate, Brett Goldstein's so there just announced he's doing a, um, he's doing a, a, a comedy drama he's writing. Um, and it's Jason Sigal's in it. And Harrison Ford's just joined the cast. Yeah. But it's about a therapist who finds out he's gravely ill. And so decides to start telling the truth to his clients. Love it. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, So the house is now full of ghost musicians uh, doing a little concert and the look on Nina's face, we see this is starting to become a problem. Yeah. Um, So she goes on the date. Um, She arrives late though and she wants out of the date. And... Uh, which seems cruel at first, but I don't blame her when the date actually does begin because he decides to hop while telling her his life story. He's a bit intense.
1: He is a manic pixie dream boy.
0: He is. Very good. Yeah. Love it.
1: So he has, we don't know much about his interior life. He's besotted with her for no apparent reason. He's there to help her get over her pain. She has a vaguely artsy life, which is a hallmark of the male lead that tends to attract a manic pixie dream girl. And he does something wacky just because. Mm. And we're supposed to go, oh, that's mm. that's so cute and whatever. It's funny because, oh, you know how I feel about *Money, Pixie Dream Girls. I can't bear it. Mm. And I can't bear it in him. But weirdly, it could be because of my old memory of watching it without that sort of critical lens when I was younger. I think the actor, what's he called? Michael, Michael Maloney. Maloney. Yeah. He just about pulls it off. Yes. Just about.
0: Yeah, he's like doing his best, isn't he? It's
1: sickening. I think, actually, the dialogue he's given really helps him out because the hopping thing is unbearable. Yeah. But especially when he says, I've got a daughter, Gemma's seven, probably should have opened with that. And it's like, oh, you seem like a real person now. Um,
0: and, and, and it's Anthony Miguel, you know, he, he's, he said at the, at the outset he wanted to experiment with this film and try things. It was his first movie. And this is clearly someone turning exposition into a game. Yeah. How can I get exposition across in a fun way that people won't feel like it's exposition? And in that respect, we do learn what we need to about him. Yeah. Maybe they just should have done it without the hopping. He reckons, Mengele reckons that people now hop along there that are fans of this film doing their life story to each other.
1: But you don't want to be anywhere near those people. No. Those people are awful.
0: No. They're they're the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what I do like is how forgiving... I am of this film or while I'm not paying attention enough I don't know what it is but like he points out in this scene you know they had one day to shoot it no money um, it changed from day to night yes <laughs> during, it does. Oh during God, the sequence right, yeah. but <laughs> it's not a problem because you don't I mean yeah, you forgive them
1: Alan Rickman's like where have you been and you're like yeah you said you didn't want to go on the date you've hopped for several minutes and yeah. now it's 11 o'clock
0: yeah uh, she think while, while the hopping is happening she thinks she sees Jamie playing a cello yeah uh, just as she's getting along with this new guy. And so it's almost like he's genuinely haunting her now, mm. you know, if he is there. Uh, Maura has a baby and loves Titus, apparently. Mm. So that's the end of Titus's um, sub story. So he
1: did quite well out of this film, yes. really. <laughs> <The>
0: be- <laughs> it's a beautiful woman. Um, <laughs> I guess this is trying to tell us something about the circle of life here with a baby yeah. being born as someone comes back from the dead and then disappears. But it's. It just, I just don't think any of it really works.
1: I mean, that shit does work on me a bit. Like, if you're feeling sad about people passing, and then you do think about babies, you're like, yeah, yes. it is a, you know, it, and everything they say about having a baby did chime with me. Where they're like, it is deeply emotional, and it is the weirdest thing in the world where you're like, oh my god, like an actual alive thing is mm. here that wasn't here mm. a few hours ago. And I think if you were really in the throes of grief. You saw, so, you are very raw and you are very vulnerable to like big messages and like big emotions. And I think the birth of a baby, I think it's a bit of a shame. It's not her blood relative, which would really like kind of push her over the line a bit because her sister is pregnant. Yes. So we've got another baby on the way. So if it was her niece and nephew, she'd be like the mm-hmm. you know life abides and death shall have no and dominion then, and, and whatever.
0: Then Titus wouldn't get that happy ending. Exactly. The, you know. <laughs> I'm
1: all up for more representation of pregnant people because you know but there's two pregnant people in this
0: film that's and one too many
1: maybe <laughs>
0: uh, there's more dead people in the flat to take it up the carpet to scrub the floorboards and which Nina, is a
1: great decision
0: yes I thoroughly agree but Nina ain't happy with this she sends them away Jamie gets embarrassed but it, really what he's doing here is he's trying to do his job he's accelerating her annoyance yeah um, and then they have a moment where they just start reminiscing about the first time they met oh that's nice dancing and lots of trembling. Um, Apart from the dancing but yeah. Uh, nice. But there's sad stuff as well. Uh, after he died, she found stuff that he'd hidden and disapproved of. Yeah. She's realised she can do things for herself now. She doesn't need him. So she misses him. She longs for him. She, she doesn't need him. I
1: mean, she says, like, I, I didn't know how to change a fuse or something like that. And he, that's, I find that obviously, obviously a bit jarring. But he doesn't strike me as a very practical person either. So. No. I understand the stuff in the box and the stuff he didn't like because he seems like quite a strident person. In fact, doesn't she use that exact word? Or he's quite forthright, that's mm. what she says. And I get that he his personality would be quite domineering and you wouldn't be able to have your pictures up and your stuff like that. But he doesn't seem like the sort of man that could change a fuse either
0: no. at the same time. I don't know. All men can. Well,
1: this is the thing. Yeah, I think with... the film is saying every single man you know can do all that basic DIY we're, we're
0: born with the knowledge.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So... Uh... This important scene now, Anthony Minghella said when he started writing the script, he knew this would be a poem here. He just didn't know what poem. So he settled on um, Pablo Neruda's The Dead Woman. And I'll give you the lines. He says, uh, Forgive me if you are not living, if you have died. All the leaves will fall on my breast. It will rain on my soul all night, all day. My feet will want to march to where you are sleeping, but I shall go on living. Yes. And it's beautiful.
1: Or as I like to think of it, what doesn't kill you, doesn't kill you. <laughs> so mm. you've just got to keep going.
0: Um, you know, they both say the poem, she's she's translating it. And they're divided here. Um, they're apart. She moves closer to him and then she leaves. And um, I don't know. It feels painful, this scene, I think.
1: I think it feels very realistic. Yeah. But she's breaking up with him, but she doesn't really want to. But she no. does. She knows she's got to.
0: Yeah. And, and it's we can all sort of empathise with that. You know, knowing that you have to let go, but not wanting to. Yeah. And then the ghosts approach Jamie and say, well, and he says, I think so. Yes. Mm. Really moving, but breaks the rules of the film because the ghosts are now present without her. Before, they've only been there
1: oh, yeah. when she's in the
0: room. And so you could say that he is real.
1: Yeah, mm. you're right.
0: Which... um is a bit of a problem. The scene's there to show, to really hammer home. He was this was a mission, yeah, and they're all waiting to see if he's completed his mission, and and he's saying yes, yeah, you're right. But um, it sort of breaks the rules, so um, it's interesting. And and it, 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 talks a lot about working with Rickman on this, saying how just intelligent and wise he was, and uh, he didn't want to play any emotion in the film or romance. He wanted to play this reality. Uh, he said he wanted to play the banality. He wanted to be there to tell her off. Um, playing it real and so and so we can think it's real and I'll get to why. I'm saying that in a moment. But um Nina visits Mark and it's sweet his group all cheer. Um, they have a they have a big heart heart outside and, and she's she's she tells him the truth ish mm. about Jamie and she says, I think I am free mm. which is the truth I guess as she sees it. Um they head back to his place to have a shag and she gets out to buy a toothbrush.
1: Yeah, um, I think it's quite forward.
0: Yeah, he says uh, on the commentary he would take out that moment. Yeah. He said, it's just not necessary. I thought I needed to over-explain and I didn't. It's oh, quite she's clear.
1: comfortable to stay? Yeah. yeah. Right, okay. Yeah,
0: uh, it's just... yeah. Uh, in in his, this is one of those moments. I've f- always
1: thought that as well. It's like if you're going home to have sex with each other, is it that big a deal if you borrow his toothbrush? Maybe it is. Maybe I'm disgusting. Mm. But I think once the exchange Agreed. has gone on, mm. the toothbrush is like really the least mm. of it.
0: I think Seinfeld did about three episodes on whether that. There was we acceptable go. Or well, or there we are. So <laughs> it, I must be right. <laughs> no, but I mean, I'm even pretty sure Jerry was a no. <laughs> <laughs> you've watched Seinfeld <laughs> yeah. um, so um, this is another moment he just finds this sort. Mingella finds the opening scene too slow he finds the camera panning here too slow he gets very frustrated with his own film but um, we cut back to her flat and that picture of him playing the cello is now slightly obscured by a plant
1: oh okay mm.
0: I see uh, he's sort of disappearing and so she comes home she shouts out his name he's left us some roses
1: no She's, they're um... sorry you're right yeah they're Mark's roses Mark's that she roses. discarded. You're right, and I, that's why I like that moment because he's saying it's okay to for you to shag Mark now. You can. I'll put the roses on the piano.
0: Good spot. Oh my God, that's I didn't clock that. <laughs> Thank you, Vicky. Um, she starts scrubbing the floorboards because g- he was
1: right. <laughs> she gives the
0: cello away.
1: Does she not give it to the nephew then? Yeah, she does. Okay, yeah, I that. yeah,
0: I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark phones up. She tells him her address, Ellingham Road, Ellingham is an anagram of mingella.
1: Lovely. Hello.
0: <laughs> I'll be here all week.
1: Um, did you spot that or did you read it somewhere? Tell the
0: truth. Uh, I think he said it on the commentary. Okay.
1: Because it's your it's your forte, it's your strength. Yeah. Wordplay. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, she leaves the house and turns off the lights. Um, the ghosts seem to sort of glide across the room here, which I like. And they, together with Jamie, watch as she greets Mark on the steps and they kiss. And there's no words. There's just music, and I get such a big lump in my throat watching Jamie smile, and he's sort of crying, but he's laughing, and this is why Anna Rittman said um that jamie wouldn't he would he refused to show any emotion as Jamie, okay, because this smile here he said that's the only emotion you're getting from yep. me, and that's that's your ending I'll
1: starve you of emotion, yeah. so the smallest smile from me yeah. this you, is all you, fall you get at from my me. feet,, yeah.
0: <laughs> and it's brilliant because it, it's it's <clears> such a beautiful moment and He's sad but happy. Um, the ghosts are loving it. They're all waving. <laughs> They're all waving. They're having a great time. And you've got your ending yeah. because mission complete. Yes. Uh, beautiful. So uh, this was a TV movie, uh, but it played at the London Film Festival in 1990. And it got great reviews, understandably. So it got a US cinema release, then a UK cinema release. Um, it cost 650 grand. It made one and a half million. Oh, wow. That's great. Um, it won um, it won a bunch of awards. I think it won an original screenplay, BAFTA uh, for Mingella maybe. Got some acting and directing nominations. He said as a playwright, um, this put him on the map as a director mm. and it launched his career in Hollywood. He made a, di- a bit of a disaster next Mr. Wonderful, but then his next two films were The English Patient and a Talented Mr. Ripley. So, um, yeah, it launched his career, which was cut way too short. Mm. I wish we were still watching Anthony Minghella films. Um, But he passed away in 2008. But um, it's interesting the life that this film has had um, beyond TV and cinema. He he talks about the fact that it's used as a counselling tape for the recently bereaved. Wow. Um, He sort of says it's become its own form of therapy for people. And uh, as I said, this polarising was surprising to him. He said, we made this film with such a mild intention mm. and yet people either find it exhilarating and helpful or absolutely unacceptable.
1: Why? Because of the grief? Yeah. Because it's too much.
0: I think people, yeah, I think maybe people don't want to face it. And he said he, he surprised the amount of people who it seemed to make angry.
1: I mean, it makes me angry because of the smug middle-classness, but that's that, my, that's, my that's your problem. Yeah, When it comes to representation of the fucking roller coaster of bereavement. It is. It's perfect.
0: Um, and he's and he said, in spite of making the English Patient and the talented Miss Ripley, um, it was the film he would be asked about the most by people. Oh, when they some came people love it, don't they? They yeah. just really cherish it. Yeah. So let's do the bits. Um, What's your favourite scene? Uh,
1: I really like, this is not my favourite scene, it's just a little moment Mm. when the therapist is going, what's ridiculous, what's ridiculous? And we cut to the dead orchestra in a room. I think that's such a very filmic moment. Mm -hmm. And you spoke before about, you know, the thing with the photograph elevating it out of TV movie. I think that does the same job Mm. of work there. But actually it's when they break up, quote marks. So when they're talking about when they first met and then it's just such a very British thing. Mm. and it's daft but when <laughs> you've got Alan Rickman with the, the one of the most like recognizable voices of the last like whatever sort mm. of 40 years saying <clears throat> and then we had cornflakes and you're like wow because it's him and because it's them and because of the way that they've like established their relationship and it's just very when they're talking about, you know, they talked all night and all the rest of it. and You're just like, you're right there. And then so it's kind of undercutting it with this mundanity of cornflakes. But because it's them two, you're just like, whoa, that's awesome. And then when she says, she doesn't say these words, but I'm breaking up with you. And mm. then, no, I'm not. And it's like, that to me is, is much more realistic. It, I I would have done it. You know, if I'd have written it, I'd be like, I'm breaking up with you. ends Because we need the scene to be really clear. And that's crap. Mm. So it's much better. And you trust your actors to be able to, uh, make it clear that something has happened even though you've kind of been told it hasn't
0: yeah I'm the same and, and doing the poem performing the poem um, <clears throat> I know. just find it so emotional I'm welling up now thinking about it and I can't watch that scene it's it's beautiful so uh, well done Anthony um, <laughs> most valuable whatever
1: uh, Juliet Stevenson mm. isn't she in every scene apart from what you just said about the girls at the end oh, she might be yeah, I feel she like she be. is yeah, and that's yeah. a lot to carry yeah and obviously, you know, the, you know, the, the snot and the tears and, mm-hmm. and going there is fantastic. And It's just carrying everything else, you know, the lightness, the sort of sauciness. Like when she walks back into the office and she's like, yeah, I've been in bed all week. And she seems very pleased with herself. Mm. And it's, it's the same thing kind of with like, Julia Roberts. What film are we watching? There's a film we're watching where she's sad, Was she's sleeping with the enemy mm-hmm. and she's sad all the time. And then we were, and then she smiles a bit when you know that man's harassing her about the apples, mm. but she makes her laugh. And we're like, you, you're, "This mm. apple thing is stupid," but fucking hell, you need to see her smile because the tension of not seeing her smile. And Juliet Stevenson is the same. Like when mm. there, there's a moment where they the, the singing and the dancing. I found it almost unbearably. Oh, did you? You've
0: not mentioned. That's not come up today. It's
1: unbearably gross, but it's very nice to see her happy. And mm. you want her, you want her to be happy. Yeah, so she, she's fantastic.
0: Yep. Yeah, same. <laughs> same scene, same measure. I mean, yeah, it's it's no surprise to to figure out she was the muse that this was written for her. It's tailor made, and it's a phenomenal performance. You know, it's it's she's she's putting herself out there, and yeah. it's really effective. Um, would you change anything?
1: I. It's just it's a it's a little thing, but both. The character of Mark and the character of Jamie. Can we please sort out their hair? Because Mark's hair is disgusting. It's hot, oh, It creepy. was 1990. It doesn't matter. There's a photograph of Alan Rickman on the wall in the flat where his hair is swept back mm. and he looks like a lion. He looks like like there is a man to be. To be. <laughs> no more words. When he's got this whole ratty hair thing with this tash, it's upsetting. That's Alan Rickman's hair. Alan Rickman is a god. It doesn't matter. But Mark Maloney, because he's, he's got to be this manic pixie dream boy, his hair, he looks like a murderer and it's got to be sorted. I felt scared for her with his hair when he was hopping and it was flapping around everywhere. Mm. I didn't like it. Just sweep it off his face and everything's fine. It's creepy beyond words. I find his hair distressing. Yeah. That's really it. Oh, I said it before. The baby born should be a niece or nephew.
0: Mm. That's it. Yeah. Good. Good. Uh, the second change is better. Um, uh, there's sort of a, what what differentiates this from the ending of Ghost is that here it's she's being defined by this new man in her life. Sure, she's that's not moving true. Yeah. on for her. She's moving on for the sake of another guy. Yeah, and I think that's a shame. And I, I just I feel like the message is better. Sure, in yeah. Ghost, and so. Sense. Yeah, I don't know how much we need of this new guy, particularly as he's, you know, a wacky magician. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I might I have might pulled back on, on, on the importance of him. But then, obviously, that ending is so effective, mm. that kiss. So. You just
1: need, just thinking... Oh, no, this is boring for everyone apart from me you need one thing that she wouldn't do yeah and so he helps her to do the thing but the thing is not sleeping at his house
0: agreed so yeah that I might make that change and I also um I want a four hour director's cut where we're just watching films with the ghosts <laughs> maybe have their commentary <laughs> is that okay
1: for you yeah
0: <laughs> yes uh, right so that was Ghosted Truly Madly Deeply meaning now it's time for the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! So, Alex, these were your choices. Uh, Who do you want to go first? Vicky? Okay, Vicky.
1: Cool. Okay, thanks, Alex. So, this is very close and I've been back and forth a lot. I love both of these films. I I so want, and I felt like this when we did Jacob's Ladder for personal reasons, but also for reasons that I think a lot of people, most people can understand. You just want Bruce Rubin to be right, don't you? You just want... (laughs) That when it all comes to pass, that I don't—not so much about heaven and hell, but that just that everything is going to be all right. Mm. That is, I want that so much. I don't think it's what happens, but I wish. I just want—I want him to be right. And so when he does that on film, even Jacob's Ladder, which is fucking terrifying, ultimately there is something else, and everything's going to be fine. Mm. So that's what I want. And because of my feelings, you know, deep feelings about that, I feel very connected to Ghost in that way. However. It's where Truly Madly Deeply is deep because it's pretty shallow. Like, Truly Madly Deeply is much more raw and much more realistic about the mood swings of grief. You know, the cliché, but the stages of grief are a real thing that when you're going through them, you're like, I cannot believe I'm in the anger stage, but I definitely am. Mm. And there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to wait for it to pass. And, however... This is a difficult reason because it's, it's just from being a grown-up, but the representation of the men doesn't gel with me now in my uh, 40 because Alan Rickman, I understand he's on a mission, but he is quite whiny and there is a moment where it feels a little bit threatening, a little bit. Titus is super bad, like that's not good. Mm. And I resist Manic Pixie Dream Girl in all its forms, mm. even when it's a Manic Pixie Dream Boy. Oh. I've, I've had to, like, that's the hill I'm going to die on, so there we are. So although, like I said, it's very close, it's just by an a whisker ghost.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm the same as you. These are both truly magical movies. Um, we have to pick a winner, but I would say there's no loser this week. I, I've, you know, I'll get a bee in my bonnet about that message being better in Ghost about moving on and letting go of the past rather than it having to be in the arms of a new man. Yeah, that's a that's a problem. Um, but there's a truth to Truly Madly Deeply that isn't in Ghost, and, and you touched upon it. And I'm going to use the crying to to give my version of it. In Ghost, crying is noble and beautiful yeah. and in truly madly deeply it's painful and ugly Yeah, and I think that's right as I don't think grief is pretty and that's not that comfortable another issue I've got with Ghost I was thinking about this last night I fear that it is made well, if it's even if it's made one person think that mediums are real and go to a medium, I True. think that's a bad thing.
1: That's I, we never even talked about that. Mediums make me so so cross. Yeah,
0: yeah, and that's why you know I love Darren Brown going around. Yeah, trying debunking to
1: debunking them. Yeah, I it's, think it's, it's unbelievable. It should be illegal. Yeah, it's ridiculous.
0: Friggin' hell! There's a bunch on the on the Ghost DVD. They've got an extra that's a bunch of mediums saying why the film's so good. You know, all of them they're mediums for for um humans and animals. Yeah. And it's just like, piss off, you
1: Take con Taking money artists. off vulnerable yeah, people. Telling yeah,
0: telling their story about how they first realised they had the gift and it's bullshit. Uh, so that does annoy me as well. So all these reasons are why um, Truly Madly Deeply could win. <laughs> but... Oh, you tease. <laughs> I think I'm going to go for Ghost. I think it's because there were so many scenes I could have picked for favourite scene. It's just, it does so much so well. I remember how much I loved it that summer, uh, watching it twice in the cinema, maybe three times, I don't know. <laughs> and then coming back to it, you know, 32 years later, it's and it's still, still packing a punch yeah. and just ticking every single box. And I know I'm being manipulated and I know it's too sentimental, but I'm there for the journey. Yeah. So there you have it. Uh, a win for Ghost.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Which this, makes me good.
1: feel bad. <laughs> Yeah, it's, but it's, yeah, it, but it was genuinely a very close run. Yes.
0: Yes. So we love you truly, Maddie, deeply. Yeah. As well. So uh, let's finish with a look forward to next week when it's my choices. Uh, so the first clue was about Bartying like it was the mid to late 80s. And that's because the inimitable Billy Barty is in both of these films. Then your Twitter clue was.
1: Um, it's the obligatory. Tim Curry reference, mm,
0: and why is that a clue?
1: So I will, if I say it, I'll give it away. So I'll just say it. So uh, the tree mm. is mm. Willow, and T R E E. She spelled T R E E. Willow, and Tim Curry is in
0: Legend. So there you have it. Our next week's films are 1985's Legend, which is available on Amazon Prime in the UK, and 1988's Willow, which is streaming on Disney Plus. And I'll explain why we are doing both those movies next week. Until then, thanks for listening. Please give us a review or a like or a subscribe if you liked what you heard. Back next week with Ridley Scott's Legend. This was a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creative Network.